1: The secrets of St. Paul's former Indian residential school. We're not fully certain yet of how many students might not have made it home. First Nations launch an investigation to honour children who didn't survive. Agony over the wrongful death of their daughter.
2: These two vehicles can Smashing into each other.
1: The freak crash that changed their lives and the offer of compensation that adds to the pain. And from special forces to endurance athlete. <laughs> The remarkable achievements of bc's leah goldstein
3: you're watching global bc
1: this is global news hour at six good evening and thanks for joining us we start tonight with the victims of a horrible crash that's exposing flaws in our province's wrongful death legislation you might remember the story a toddler named Ocean was killed and her father badly injured as they stood on the sidewalk, hit by a car that had been involved in a collision. Ramina Dea sat down with Ocean's parents today, and a warning, their story is upsetting
2: to hear. Yeah, so funny. Two-year-old Ocean was enchanted with the beach. I miss her. I miss waking up to her giggles. (laughs) I miss her silly antics. The little girl excited to pick mom up after work July 6th. Ocean, in her father's arms, waiting to cross the street at the corner of Hornby and Smythe in Vancouver. These two black vehicles come smashing into each other really quickly. Star jointson across the street watching helplessly as one of the vehicles went flying in the direction of her family. Car went under and the van lifted and then the van flipped like this two or three times and then hit Michael, my daughter. I started screaming, my baby give me my pardon. I knew she was dead. There was nothing I could do. Ocean's father, Michael, on the ground, bleeding, gasping for air. And I said, please, I need you. And, uh, and finally, he's tries to sit up, and I had to pin him to the ground
4: <laughs> and tell him to stop moving, because when shock kicks in, you can't feel that you're broken, and he was just trying to get to his daughter. So they'll go in, they'll pull it apart, and then they'll add um, plates on either side.
2: Michael's arm and leg held together by metal rods. He suffered multiple fractures to his back and clavicle, plus broken ribs, a punctured lung, and lacerations to his kidney, spleen, and liver. The most painful blow to Michael's heart because his little girl is gone.
4: It is our reality that she's not there. She's not going to be there. We're not going to see her walking. We're not going to see her graduate. We're not going to see her... Um, achieve her first milestones of actually saying full sentences. None of that is ever going to happen for us, for her. It's all gone, that instant.
2: The police investigation into the deadly crash continues. No charges have been laid. The future for Michael and Starr, scary recovery, employment, housing. Nothing is certain right now. Compounding these challenges, ICBC's payment for the loss of their daughter, $14,918 for each parent.
4: It's hard to understand that when she dies or the value that she had provided us with is basically nil. Those vehicles that were damaged that took my daughter's life will
2: be fixed or replaced. My daughter can't be. The public clearly feels the grieving parents deserve more. $73,000 and counting has been raised in a GoFundMe campaign launched by a friend. Michael and Star supremely grateful to every single person for the support. I love you. In the name of their daughter, Ocean's parents are now vowing to fight for fair compensation for the death of a child, hoping to help other families. We miss her. We love her. Sorry. No, that's okay. Romina Dea, Global News.
1: Now, wrongful death in this province is obviously a contentious issue, raising many questions about how much a life is really worth. Ocean's parents are now caught up in a system that many have already found to be lacking,
5: and Aaron MacArthur has that part of the story. What is a life worth? The answer to that question depends on who died. A 23-month-old baby valued much differently under the law than her
4: father. Heartbreaking. You know, it hurts um, that somebody can define her as having a number and that number ends up being roughly six times less than the value they would put in for a car.
5: Children or dependents without any income are almost non-existent under B.C. civil law. In a wrongful death situation, any compensation is tied solely to future earning potential. To make matters worse, families have little recourse to seek justice. Payments in other jurisdictions tend to be larger once
6: the courts are involved. They value uh, human life quite a bit differently in other jurisdictions. Uh, In Ontario, the uh, courts have seen that top uh, number at about 125000 per surviving family members.
5: The B.C. government has made changes. ICBC's payment of just less than $15,000 to each of Ocean's parents is actually an improvement over the old system. But according to advocates, it's still woefully inadequate.
6: These new changes with ICBC are just a total slap in the face to the dignity and value of the individual in this province.
5: In a statement, the provincial government says the Family Compensation Act will be addressed this term, adding, if a driver is convicted of a criminal charge, victims' options to sue are expanded. Personal injury lawyers say this is more than just a question of direct costs. It tears apart
7: families' uh, injuries and and death uh, from car crashes, and and now he can't
5: sue anyone for that. There is no amount of money that will make up for the loss of a child. But by denying victims' ability to seek justice, the payments often add trauma, re-victimizing people who have suffered unbearable loss.
4: Those vehicles that were damaged that took my daughter's life Will be fixed or replaced. My daughter can't be.
5: Aaron MacArthur, Global News.
1: We now know the identity of the victim of a targeted shooting in Richmond over the weekend. IHIT says 23 year old Christopher Singh of Delta was found dead in a ditch on Canby Road and 8 Road on Saturday morning. Investigators confirm Singh was known to police and was likely involved in the lower mainland gang conflict. But he had no criminal record. Investigators are hoping to speak to anyone who might have more information. More than 60 years after the original building was torn down, the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil nations are launching an investigation into the St. Paul's Indian Residential School in North Vancouver. That school was run by a Catholic order from 1899 to 1959. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, the Archdiocese of Vancouver is working with the investigation. But first, a warning. Some of the details in this report might be triggering.
8: St. Paul's was the only Indian residential school in Metro Vancouver. An estimated 2,000 Indigenous children were institutionalized at the North Vancouver location between the late 1800s and 1959. Public records show 12 unidentified students died while attending, but that number is feared to be higher.
9: We know that based off of the current archival information that we have, that there are a number of children that attended the school uh, that did not make it home.
8: Now an investigation is underway into the former residential school. Musqueam, Squamish and tsleil Nations say they will work together to interview survivors, gather records and search for potential burial sites on the former site, which is now being redeveloped. St. Thomas Aquinas Secondary is now located there.
9: We have to identify and to bring some closure to our families and to other families that possibly were Uh, Their their loved ones never made it back home.
8: Also involved, the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Vancouver. The Catholic Church managed and operated St. Paul's residential school and is promising to make all records available and accessible.
10: We have much to learn and act on as we hear from the nations and community members in this journey of truth and reconciliation related to the church's historic and damaging role with residential schools.
8: News of the investigation into St. Paul's comes after the suspected remains of 215 children were found at the Kamloops Indian Residential School and after similar discoveries were made near former residential schools in Cranbrook
11: and on Cooper Island. This has been on the mind of our survivors since the discovery at uh, Kamloops Indian Residential School.
9: We're going to work with each and every one of you to get to the truth
8: While there's no exact timeline for the investigation of St. Paul's Residential School, it's hoped that it will result in a journey of healing for all survivors.
9: First and foremost, this work is about protecting and helping our survivors.
8: Catherine Cart, Global News.
1: And as always, we want you to know there is support for survivors. A 24-hour crisis line is available for anyone struggling as a result of their or their family's residential school experience. That number is toll-free, and you can speak in confidence at 1-866-925-4419. The federal government made a series of announcements today in support of indigenous communities dealing with the impacts of unmarked grave discoveries at former residential schools.
5: I'm pleased to announce my intention to appoint a special interlocutor to support indigenous peoples and communities who are working to identify and address unmarked and undocumented graves and burial sites. But I want to give due credit for this idea. It came from indigenous leaders.
1: With the Justice Minister's proposal, the federal government announced roughly $320 million in additional funding for initiatives and investments in indigenous communities. That includes $83 million for researching and locating burial sites of children who died in residential schools and $20 million to build a national monument in Ottawa honoring residential school survivors and their children. Now to COVID-19 in BC, and hospital numbers are up again today. We have 395 new cases and 3,284 active cases. 71 people are in hospital, 23 patients are in the ICU. Thankfully, we have no new deaths to report today, and we now have 70.6% of those 12 and older fully vaccinated. Now pressure is mounting on UBC to implement stricter COVID-19 protocols for the fall semester. In a letter, the UBC Faculty Association says students and staff should be required to get vaccinated before returning to campus next month. It also says the school should make masks mandatory in all public indoor spaces. The urging follows the UBC Student Union's request for similar measures to be implemented. The Faculty Association says these protocols would help alleviate the stress and anxiety among students and staff about returning to school with the rise in cases. So Keith Baldry joins us now live to take a closer look at the numbers. And and Keith, some say uh, they definitely add something to the argument that mandatory Mm -hmm. vaccinations and masks in universities would be a good idea.
9: Yes, certainly if you look at who's getting the virus right now in in predominantly larger numbers and also in terms of, again, the vaccination rates for the age cohorts who go to post-secondary institutions. So take a look. The numbers have changed since the pandemic began. The number of people over 40 now has dropped because of high vaccination numbers, just 24 percent of the cases over the weekend. Uh, But uh, 30-year-olds are starting to increase. But take a look at the 20-year-olds, 35 percent of the cases in recent days. That's an increase of 12 points over the, what had been the average for months. So again, what we're seeing right now is a fundamental shift in who's getting COVID-19. It had been about 22% of 20-year-olds for some time. Now it's up to 30 35%. And many of those people, of course, attend post-secondary institutions. Take a look at the vaccination rates. So again, for the same age groups, the, the provincial average is upwards of 82%. For 20-year-olds, it's 79.7%. But take a look at the interior, 67%. Uh, the 30-year-olds are actually vaccinated at a lower rate Rate than the 20-year-olds and just 65% in the interior. So again, our vaccination rate story, Chris tells us, that uh, we're having different numbers in different parts of the province. The north and the interior still have very low vaccination rates. I think a strong case can be made, certainly, that post-secondary institutions in the interior and the north in particular should probably argue for mandatory vaccination uh, s- systems because they have so low vaccination rates there amongst the very people who attend post-secondary institutions. The pressure's on to get more people
1: the shots, but we'll see if it mm-hmm. uh, if it comes to that a little bit later. Thanks very much, Keith. A new route for TransLink. Global News goes along for the ride with the new CEO to get his vision for Metro Vancouver Mass Transit. That's next on... One of the world's most grueling tests of human endurance and the B.C. woman who beat everyone. That's coming up later. And the electrifying transformation of a vacant lot in the Okanagan and how it could help heal the planet. Those stories a little later. But right now, when the pandemic first struck last year, one of the immediate impacts was a huge drop in the number of people riding transit. While ridership is starting to rebound, TransLink's new CEO admits that getting the system back on the rails is going to be his first
0: major challenge. Jordan Armstrong reports. TransLink's new boss is a details guy. When he steps on a SkyTrain car, he's observing.
7: I'm looking for signage. I'm looking for cleanliness. Uh, you know, the, the experience kind of starts with the floor, right?
0: Kevin Quinn has hit the ground running. On the job less than a month, he says he's taken
7: SkyTrain every day. Something that's really surprised me is the, the robustness of the system. The workhorse of the system, though, buses. We need to take a look at our bus frequencies, being sure that we're meeting uh, those travel patterns that are emerging today. Quite frankly, people just aren't traveling the way they were before COVID. COVID.
0: Quinn wants TransLink to be transparent with its customers. Give them an explanation for why the schedule changed.
7: It's about trust. That trust is formed by having a a, a contract with our customer. It's called a schedule. Quinn
0: comes to Metro Vancouver from Maryland, where he oversaw one of the largest multi-model transit systems in the U.S. So, what besides a $450,000 starting salary would lure him to TransLink, an organization that's been through labor unrest, a pandemic, and a massive cyber attack in less than two
7: years? The thing that I know is that uh, transit uh, always bounces back. Transit's going to be around and we're fully optimistic, I'm fully optimistic, that we're going to get that ridership back.
0: Ridership that dipped as low as 17 percent of normal in April 2020 and is now back up to around 50 percent. Quinn says making passengers
7: feel comfortable is critical. If they want to wait for the next bus because it's less crowded, they have that information at their fingertips. Uh, it's that kind of power and information that we're giving to our riders that I think is going to bring them back.
0: It's clear the new CEO faces a number of big
7: challenges. There's also a small change he'll need to get used to. In Maryland and in most places in the U.S., there's, uh, uh, there are drivers for the trains. And so I'm so used to in Maryland, you know, waving at the employees driving the trains. And so as I've gotten here for a couple of days, I was waving at the trains. Uh, uh, fully, uh, you know, later on realizing that they were autonomous and that there are no drivers. And so I'm sure a lot of passengers saw the new CEO of TransLink waving at them and saying hi. Jordan Armstrong, Global News.
1: Several infrastructure projects on Vancouver Island are receiving a financial boost from the federal and provincial governments. The Fed's announcing today it's earmarking $10.3 million for 21 projects on the island, while well, the B.C. government is committing another $1.7 million, most of the projects involve some sort of active transportation, including the construction of bike lanes in Courtney and new sidewalks and crosswalks in Souk. These projects
4: respond to a growing demand for cultural and recreational spaces, including trails and pathways that promote healthy and active lifestyles.
9: These are projects that make a real difference in the lives of residents.
1: Well, still to come, the battle over an Okanagan resort community.
12: There hasn't been a thorough analysis of this decision.
1: The demand for dream homes puts the developer at odds with those who say it's too much urban sprawl and a warning about the wildfire situation with another hot, dry spell on the way
8: traffic is steady over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge this evening after a very busy afternoon commute, especially on the Richmond side and the east-west connector. Welcome to the electric future. Be among the first to reserve the all-new 2022 Bolt EUV or redesigned 2022 Bolt EB. Request your reservation today. Visit chevroletoffers.ca. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge.
1: And some Falkland are now returning home after being evacuated because of the White Rock Lake wildfire burning between Vernon and Kamloops. But with another heat wave set to sweep across B.C., many are worried that fire and many others could get a lot worse. Imadagahi has the details.
13: We are standing along Highway 97 just a handful of kilometers north of Monte Lake and behind me you could see a little bit of smoke rising from the hills and behind that is where the White Rock Lake fire has been burning and now sits at 55,000 hectares. Now We've been here for about five days now and can tell you that activity there is new. And according to some people uh, we've been speaking to that are staffing the check stop, that activity came after a couple of hours of high wind on what has been a hot and dry afternoon. This cloud of smoke is coming from just west of Monte Lake as firefighting activity ramps up on the northern flank of the White Rock Lake fire on Tuesday. According to the BC Wildfire Service, multiple fire guards are being put into place to protect areas northeast, like the community of Pritchard, where some residents are under an evacuation alert. Meanwhile, residents of Falkland are now returning back home for the first time since Thursday night, when the community was evacuated. The order there is downgraded to an alert, so that meant people who have been living on the road can go home, but they will also have to be ready to leave at a moment's notice once again if fire activity picks up.
10: We're trying to run a business, so uh, we have to come back. If we have to leave again, then we go through the same process.
11: I'll just leave most of the stuff in the van. If we have to go again, we'll go. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, it's, yeah, it's disheartening, but there's nothing you can do. The fires are just been going on for how long? Everybody knows that.
13: What does remain off-limits to anyone but emergency personnel and hydro crews is the fire-ravaged community of Monty Lake and also Westwalt. On Tuesday, there was another appeal to residents of those communities to respect evacuation orders.
4: I understand the desire to, to stay behind and, and protect home and your animals and, and your property. I understand how incredibly disruptive this is. It's just too
14: dangerous to stay behind.
13: What we also heard from provincial officials is confirmation on Tuesday that BC Wildfire Service crews did respond to the White Rock Lake fire within 30 minutes of it being reported to them back on July 13th, which is contrary to what residents of the area are saying was a slower response that may have led to its explosion in size. Emadagahi Global News.
1: And the temperature is rising. Heat warnings officially issued for the south coast today and meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with the details on that. Christy.
11: Thanks, Chris. So it's really important that everyone understands that we're in for dangerous heat over the next four days. And it's not just the heat during the day that's a concern. It's also the fact that we're going to see very little relief at night. So it doesn't allow your body to cool things down. Now, the heat wave is from Wednesday to Saturday, but the hottest day will be on Thursday. When we're expecting, have a look, temperatures with the Humanex level up to 41 away from the water. And that includes areas like Pit Meadows. Not only could we see that Humanex value at 41 during the day, but at night, it may only drop down to 26, 27 with the human X value. So we're talking about incredibly hot conditions, that's for sure. Uh, When I come back, we're going to talk about some really unique ways that you can help yourself stay cool. And don't forget, look after yourself and check on anyone that may be vulnerable to the heat, Chris.
1: All right, good advice. Thanks very much, Christy. Some environmental groups are sounding the alarm about a new development in Kelowna. The developer of McKinley Beach is offering a land swap to amend the original community plan and rezone portions of the subdivision. But Global's Travis Lowe explains why critics say the company's offer needs further examination. You should look upon it like the Trojan horse.
3: David Jenkins is imploring Kelowna City Council to be extremely diligent when considering McKinley Beach's latest development proposal.
5: This goes completely in the face of the 2040 uh, official community plan, particularly with regard to the protection of the natural environment and climate change.
3: McKinley Beach has applied to the city in order to amend the official community plan, rezone portions of the properties to extend the CD18 boundary and add a park as part of a land swap.
12: They're offering up uh, ALR land in um, compensation for being able to develop uh, about 300 acres of pristine Ponderosa Pines and put about 800 uh, single-family dwellings on it.
3: City staff have recommended approving the application as the 246-acre park designation has a reported land value of $11 million. And the amendments would allow the already approved density at McKinley Beach to be spread out over a larger area, but those who oppose the development worry that not enough research has been done into the application.
12: There hasn't been a thorough analysis of this decision. There hasn't been a thorough analysis of the land swap or the proposed development.
3: The developer for the McKinley Beach proposal declined an on-camera interview. However, they did send Global News a statement outlining the proposal, adding, we believe this application provides great public benefit to both the McKinley area as well as Kelowna at large.
12: My reaction to that is that it goes against the vision that Kelowna citizens put forth in the official community plan as well as Imagine Kelowna. We've shared our vision, we know what we want, we want uh, more development in our urban centers and we want to keep away from urban sprawl developments like what's being proposed here at McKinley Beach.
1: Still ahead, dueling diplomacy, how the cases of Meng Wanzhou and Canadian Robert Schellenberg are pushing Canada-China relations to the brink, and unprofessional conduct by a pair of engineers and how it might have contributed to the Mount Polley mine disaster.
8: Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel, and traffic is just a little bit busy southbound on the approach. Welcome to the electric future. Be among the first to reserve the all-new 2022 Bolt EUV or redesigned 2022 Bolt EV. Request your reservation today. Visit ChevroletOffers.ca. I'm Trish in Global One at the Massey Tunnel.
1: Huawei CFO Meng Wanzhou was back in court in Vancouver as the international stakes over her arrest and potential extradition to the U.S. go even higher. Mung's legal team has asked for the charges against her to be stayed, citing a list of abuses they claim she has suffered since her 2018 arrest at YVR. Crown lawyers today argued no abusive process occurred. Later this week, the hearing will finally begin on Mung's extradition to the U.S. One of the two Michaels is about to learn his fate. Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig were detained in China in 2018 an apparent retaliation for the arrest of Meng Wanzhou. A Chinese court is expected to deliver its verdict for Spavor in a matter of hours. Meanwhile, an Abbotsford man detained in China for drug trafficking learned today the appeal of his death sentence, which was upgraded after the Meng Wanzhou detention, has failed. Jeff Semple has the details.
6: For one of the Canadians caught in the political crossfire between Canada and China, comes the worst possible news. Robert Schellenberg, arrested in China for drug trafficking back in 2014, was initially sentenced to 15 years in prison. But that was upgraded to a death sentence in January 2019, just one month after the arrest of Meng Wanzhou in Vancouver at the request of the United States. Now, Schellenberg appealed the decision. But on Tuesday, Canada's ambassador to China said the court upheld the death sentence. Uh, We've expressed our firm opposition to this cruel and unusual punishment. China also revealed one of the two Michaels. Michael Spavor, accused of spying just days after Meng's arrest, will learn his fate on Wednesday.
15: This is a a highly political case. The timing uh, of all this is uh, obviously linked in my mind to uh, what's happening in Vancouver in relation to Mrs. Meng.
6: Meng is in the final days of her court hearing. A B.C. Supreme Court judge will rule later this year on whether to extradite her to the United States.
2: The party has decided to give a message to Canada that now is the time to intervene and send Meng Wanzhou back.
6: In a statement, Schellenberg's family said they remain hopeful that the diplomatic efforts between Canada and China will bring about the best possible outcome for Bob. Schellenberg's fate isn't sealed just yet. His death sentence still needs to be approved by China's Supreme People's Court. A recent review of about 1,400 cases involving prisoners on death row in China found their death sentence was upheld about 90% of the time. Jeff Semple, Global News, Toronto.
1: Two engineers have been disciplined for unprofessional conduct that seems to have contributed to one of the largest mining disasters in Canadian history. 24 million cubic meters of mine waste flooded nearby waterways when a tailings dam gave way at the Mount Polley mine back in August of 2014. Years later, contamination can still be found in Quesnel Lake. Former engineer Stephen Rice has been fined $25,000 dollars for not properly overseeing the work of a junior engineer. A review panel also found that junior staffer did not properly oversee work on the tailings dam. Laura Fidel's penalty will be decided in the future. A third engineer is also facing discipline. In health matters tonight, Moderna has pledged to start making vaccines here in Canada. Moderna's CEO met with innovation minister Francois-Philippe Champagne in Montreal this morning to sign off on the deal. The company will build a production plant in Canada, although the location and launch date is still unknown. Canada has been criticized for not having the domestic production capacity, leaving us entirely reliant on imported vaccines.
16: Still to come, a woman breaking down barriers. I had to not only be equal to the men, I almost had to be better than the men. A
1: lifetime of proving people wrong leads BC's Leah Goldstein to conquer one of the world's most grueling challenges. And the company on a zero emission mission, setting up shop in Kelowna.
3: Here is the Wines of BC question of the day. British Columbia is home to many varieties of grapes. How many types are grown here? A 37, B 144, C 80, D 12. We'll be right back with the answer. The answer to today's Wines of BC question is C, 80. BC wine regions see more than 80 different grape varieties grown throughout the province.
1: It's hard enough battling wildfires, as many wildfires as we have in the province right now. Never mind the heat that's coming and we get the latest on the next sort of mini heat wave, I guess, that's coming here, Christy. Mm Mm-hmm.
11: As we talked about last night, Chris, this is really the third of the season. That's incredibly rare. When you think back to the early 2000s, we could go a couple of seasons without seeing a heat wave. So we're certainly seeing changes as our climate changes. Uh, but this one is very dangerous. Not as hot as that first one when we had the heat dome, but we're still talking about extreme heat. So areas in uh, pink, those are the ones across the south coast we're most concerned about. We could see humid X values reach that 40 mark and then we're not going to see relief at night. Areas in yellow are under a special weather statement not quite reaching uh, heat warning criteria but still very hot in those areas so staying safe keep hydrated Do something like eat popsicles, keep your home cool. You can actually put tin foil with this shiny side out on your windows and then put a little bit of cardboard in behind and that will actually help reflect the sun's radiation. Take a cool bath or shower, really allow your body to cool down, get that core temperature down and maybe go out, visit an air conditioning store or a restaurant to help your body cool down. And if you're really in distress, you call 911 or maybe a family member or someone nearby. Interior regions, this is just to give you a perspective. You'll likely see See that heat through until Monday. We may see here along the coast a bit of relief on Sunday. We are going to see clear skies across most of the province tomorrow, so hot but clear, thankfully. I am expecting, though, the smoke to redevelop as that stagnant air mass continues to develop, and we'll likely see much more smoky skies, at least by Friday. There's your forecast for your Wednesday. That's the start of the heat wave. It's going to last through till Saturday. We'll see some relief on Sunday, but certainly we are still expecting sunshine and heat and really barely any rain rain continuing in the forecast Chris oh no wait sorry tonight central windows weather window sorry mm-hmm. I forgot about this this is from Trish Jewison's dad this is a Tremont Creek fire looking out from Savannah. is that did I say that correctly Chris Savana, I think you you're corrected right. me the last time
1: that's right well normally it's Trish taking the amazing photos but glad to give her dad some credit here tonight mm-hmm. too on the weather window thanks very much for that Christy well done all right, exciting news for anyone looking to get into the green energy field. Hexagon, a company focused on zero-emission transportation solutions, think big trucks, is building a microfactory in Kelowna. Global Sydney Morton has more on what the company will be producing and how many jobs it promises to create.
2: It might not look like much right now, but this lot right across from the Kelowna International Airport is about to be transformed into the new manufacturing facility for Hexagon Puris, creating 100 new jobs with it.
17: Mission is clean air everywhere. That's our vision. In this factory, we'll be making uh, battery packs and hydrogen systems for the commercial vehicle market. So. Long haul trucking, cube vans, uh, anything commercial.
2: The planned 60,000 square foot micro factory is designed to be replicated across North America.
17: And over the last 20 years, what we've become really good at is putting large, heavy energy storage systems on commercial vehicles, natural gas, hydrogen. Now, with the battery systems, we've got a lot of uh, credibility in the industry with making durable and reliable energy storage. The other thing we've done uh, really well is the battery packs we have are the lightest and smallest in the industry.
2: The creation of the micro factories means that the hiring can begin now.
17: Right now we're hiring about uh, five to ten people per month. Uh, Primarily right now it's engineering uh, jobs that we're hiring, electrical, mechanical, manufacturing, engineering. Uh, And then once we get into second quarter of next year is when we'll start looking at bringing on production assembly staff. And these will be um, somewhat highly technical uh, jobs. This is not going to be uh, minimum wage labor um, because what we're doing is it's technical. um, Dealing with high voltage and hydrogen, of course, Uh, we need to take safety very seriously.
2: Sloan says that the company is working to help Canadians meet the net-zero carbon emissions by 2035, goal set by the Liberal government. Sydney Morton, Global News, Kelowna.
1: Looks pretty cool. All right, Uh, Jay Janauer joins us now with a look ahead to sports. And what's the latest on the Lions quarterback situation?
2: Well, Chris, yesterday
15: Lions head coach Rick Campbell told us that the Leos were preparing quarterback Nathan Rourke to start against the Stampeders. That's Canadian Nathan Rourke.
14: I, I am proud to, to represent can, uh, Canadian quarterbacks, and I, I was proud to do that in the NCAA, and I'm not like, any less proud to be up here as Canadian League. Really
15: don't see much Canadian content when it comes to starting quarterbacks in the CFL. We'll hear more from Nathan Rook just
1: ahead in sports. Also tonight, the elite endurance of Leah Goldstein, a BC athlete who doesn't know the meaning of the word quit. All right, Jay Jannar back with sports. A lot of great Canadians in the CFL, not many at quarterback. Well, we've got one here in BC. Yeah, Thanks, we... Chris. Yesterday, BC
15: Lions coach Rick Campbell told us that the Lions plan on starting Nathan Rourke this week against the Stampeders. It's another tall task for the rookie quarterback who had his moments, good and bad, in Regina last week.
3: We had assumed Michael Riley would be starting off the opening drive for the BC Lions, but no, it's the rookie, the backup Nathan
15: Rourke. There will be no assumptions this week who's starting for the BC Lions. Not with Rick Campbell's disclosure on Monday that the Lions will practice this week planning to have Nathan Rourke start against the Calgary Stampeders. Last week in Regina, Rourke was thrown into the fire when Michael Riley couldn't start. Making your CFL and professional football debut at a sold-out Mosaic Stadium, not the easiest thing to do. But Rourke rebounded nicely after some early stumbles that included that pick six.
14: Yeah, I mean, the the first quarter and... Parts of the second quarter, I kind of still have a bitter taste in my mouth, and that's just motivation. Knowing that the the organization and the team still believes in me, um, and they know that I'm capable of, and and uh, I'm really just focused on on helping this team win uh, on Thursday.
17: You know, for a guy that was. Um... You know, when you're in that environment and you're down as much as we were down, that's a pretty tough place to be in when it's your first go round. So I actually was quite um, proud of him. And it's I think it's a good good sign of things to come that if he can operate in that type of environment with the score the way it was that um, there's every reason to believe it's only going to get better when we we operate better as a football team in the first half of that game. He showed the traits that he showed us in, in training camp and in practice. He's a he's a fiery competitor. Um, he's athletic. Uh, he understands what we're trying
15: to do on offense. And don't forget, he's just 23 years old and also happens to be a Canadian quarterback who was born in Victoria.
14: You know, I, I am proud to to represent can, uh, Canadian quarterbacks, and I, I was proud to do that in the NCAA, and I'm not any less proud to be up here in the Canadian League. Um, you know, I watched the Lions growing up. I'm honored to be a part of that. Um, at the end of the day, I just want to play football and I, uh, I, I, I want to help this team win.
15: Lionel Messi arrived in Paris today, passed his medical and is officially a member of Paris Saint Germain. PSG signing him to a two-year, 25 million pound a year contract. That's just over 43 million Canadian a year. There's also an option for a third year signing bonus is also coming in at 25 million pounds. He's going to wear jersey number 30 and will train with his new side tomorrow. Five-time champion Rafael Nadal has withdrawn from the National Bank Open Tennis Tournament due to a foot injury. Rain halted afternoon action for a bit this afternoon. Bianca Andreescu just finished her match. She wins her second-round match, was pushed to three sets. It was a tough opening day for Vasek Pospisil and Leila Annie Fernandez on Monday. Both dropped their matches. The biggest upset, though, on day one yesterday was authored up by Va- Vancouver's Rebecca Marino. She took down world number 26 Madison Keys of the United States, and she did it in straight sets was impressive by the 30-year-old Marina. Remember, she retired she scored, for five years. To dealt with some mental health issues. Unfortunately, she tennis. lost her father. The and then 2019 comes around. She suffers a serious foot injury. And then COVID last year, and not much tennis was being played. She looked good yesterday. Very confident. Wonderful start. Was a good start for Rebecca Marina with the break. Up 4-2. Watch the uh, big forehand here. She's going to get on top of it. Keys can't return it.
1: Rebecca Marino
15: and she was off and running in the opening set. She took it 6-3 Joey last Howland. night. She had never made it into the second round of the Canadian Championship, or the National Bank Open, which used to be the Rogers Cup. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But she's off Rebecca to the second Murray round this time around. Great to see her victory over Madison Keyes. Just her third career win over a top 30 player and first since 2011. Rebecca Moreno off to the second round. She's going to play tomorrow against 31-ranked Paula Badoa of Spain. Blue Jays are down in Anaheim for a twin bill tonight. Begin the night three games out of a wild card. They drop the first game of the doubleheader 6-3. They're going to get back on the diamond at 7 p.m. Good luck tonight, guys. Have a great day. One of the all-time greats passing away, Tony Esposito has died after battling pancreatic cancer. He's the Blackhawks' all-time leader and wins 418 shutouts at 74. He played all but one of his 16 NHL seasons in Chicago. The other season that he played was right here in Vancouver with the Canucks. Such an iconic mask. Tony Esposito was 78 years old. Loved watching him as a kid. Loved it.
1: Great ambassador for Mm -hmm. hockey, too. Chicago loved him. All right, thanks very much, Jay. So, you think you're tough? You haven't met Leah Goldstein. That's next.
3: This is BC with Jay Durant, brought to you in part by Fortis BC, BC's energy solutions provider.
1: A Vernon woman is rewriting the book about what it takes to overcome adversity. Leah Goldstein has been a champion since she was a little girl. But as Jay Durant shows us in tonight's edition of This Is B.C., she had to draw on all of her strength and experience to survive and win one of the toughest races in the world. It's one of the hardest endurance
10: bike races on the planet. And this summer, Vernon's Leia Goldstein became the first woman to win it.
14: Woo-hoo-hoo!
10: But she almost didn't make it. To understand how she survived the race across America, you have to know how she became so tough. Goldstein was a world kickboxing champ at age 17. That was a start. Her family roots took her back to Israel, where she worked in the military special forces unit.
16: The main lieutenant, he comes up to me, whispers in my ear, you know, one tear, and then he kicks me out.
10: She has embraced many intense challenges, which is why she ended up in ultra-endurance cycling and ultimately in the hospital several times after some horrific crashes.
16: One rider tried to squeeze herself into a space that really didn't exist and she lost control of her bike, she leaned into me and at 85 kilometers an hour I land on my face. Whoop, you know, instant facelift.
10: <laughs> so after everything she's been through, an 11-day bike ride across America should be no problem until temperatures hit 45 degrees Celsius.
16: And when I went to do a clothes change, my back was all blistered and it, that was the intensity of the heat. I got burnt right through my jersey.
12: We were worried, like we were scared of what
16: and then just under
10: two kilometers from the finish line she collapsed.
16: Got her checked out. All of a sudden my heart rate shot up to like two hundred. I was hyperventilating and my body just shut down.
10: But Goldstein finished placing first overall. And now all that's left is to prepare to do the race across America again, because winning it all just isn't good enough for Leah.
16: It was great that I won, but the, the time of 11 days, it's, it's, a, it's a good, but it's not great. It was not what I had trained for. I had trained for a 10-day finish, right? So that's what I'm after. We're going to go after that 10-day finish.
1: Jay Durant, Global News. Never satisfied. I love that. Well done, Leah. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something that's unique to BC you want to share, just email your ideas to Jay at, thisisbc at GlobalNews.ca. Whew, she's tough. Almost as tough as Christy Gordon, raising a couple of boys at home. <laughs> All right, last word on Yes, weather.
11: exactly. <laughs> So uh, the heat is here to stay for the next four days, and we were going to see very little relief at night. Um, Hopefully no blistered backs like she had. Make sure you're wearing your sunscreen, drinking your water, and just stay in the shade. Really important to keep yourself cool.
1: No doubt. Okay, thanks very much, Christy. Thanks, Jay, for standing in, and we'll see you back
3: here again tomorrow.